Good morning. How's everyone doing? It. The sun is out. Rochester is a great place to live. There we go. <clears throat> well, because the sun was out this week, I got a haircut. And um, I went and I got a haircut. And uh, my hairdresser and I were just striking up a conversation. And uh, she was just telling me about her family. And she has two sons. And the one son is three years old. And her oldest son is a fifth grader going into sixth grade, the big, scary middle school. And I asked her, I said, how you doing with that? And she goes, well, I'm really concerned because my son um, has this group of friends and I'm not really sure that they're taking him in the right direction. I'm not really sure if they're good influences. And kind of knowing that we were in this series, I just asked her, I said, well, you know, who are some like mentors, influencers older than him? And she said this, she said, well, there's me and my older brother and that's about it. You know, we've been on a journey for this series, This Is Us, about how the gospel redefines relationships. And today what we're talking about is this, is the gospel actually redefines how we look at people that are older than us, but it also redefines how we look at people younger than us. And so today, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Titus 2. We're gonna be in Titus 2. I wanna give you a little bit of background to this passage before we begin reading it together. Titus uh, is a leader of the church and the writer of Titus' name is Paul. And Paul is writing to Titus because he is a pastor of a network of home churches in the island of Crete. Now, Crete exists today. It is south of Greece in the Mediterranean Sea. And um, what was going on was these people were coming to Christ from a totally different culture and what Paul does in Titus 2 is he says this, is coming to Jesus redefines your relationships. And Paul is very clear on what that looks like. So let's take a look at this passage. It says this, you, and he's speaking to Titus, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show them integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. So we, when it comes to relationships, we have a problem. And that problem is this. We assume people know. We assume people know. Just to give a little bit more background to Titus, you can mark this in your notes or if you have it digitally. In Titus 1.12, Paul quotes a Cretan philosopher who says this about Cretans. He says that they're liars, they're evildoers, and they're gluttons. 
Now, if I said that about Rochesterians, that's not a blowing review of compliments right there. But these people lived in a culture where it was good to lie and cheat. It was good to get above each other. So what Paul says to Titus is this. Is he says, don't assume that people know how to live out the gospel. Don't assume that they know how this makes a difference in their life. And that's still true for us today. You know, that we don't always understand how Jesus changes us where we live because what we've grown up with is normal to us. So when Jesus radically changes us, that changes the way that we see other people. So what Paul does is he says this, Titus, don't assume that people understand how to do relationships. Don't assume that they understand this big major change in their life. And he begins to get super specific to that context. He goes through each group of people there. So let's do that briefly. We're going to go through that. If you have your Bibles, we're just going to walk through that. And I actually want to start at the end. So in verses 9 and 10, I want to take you on a little bit of a detour because this is actually a question that many people ask about Christianity. And you might be a skeptic. You might be unsure about following Jesus. And I think this is a big enough issue for us to talk about. So Paul addresses slaves in Titus 2, 9 and 10. Now, what we need to understand about slavery in the ancient Roman world is this. The Roman government looked at slaves as property, and their owners looked at them as property. When Paul spoke about slavery, what he said to slaves is your people. That was revolutionary back then. It was not only revolutionary that they were people, but it was revolutionary that, that they could be freed. It was revolutionary that they could serve their masters well. It, like This was a totally new context. And so some may wonder, why did Paul not push more against slavery? Why didn't he do that? Because he knew that the government wasn't going to change. And his strategy was this influence masters for the gospels. Slaves, work in such a way, live out your faith so that when you get your freedom, your masters have seen this change in you. We also see, and there's two passages that you can write down, 1 Timothy 1.10 and Galatians 3.28, where Paul says that slavery is not in line with the values of the gospel. And so even there's times that Paul encourages masters and pushes them to free their slaves. So when Paul is talking in this passage, he's saying this, this is a very uncomfortable relationship, but live that out in such a way that your masters can see the gospel in you. I wanna come to American slavery and what's the major difference with American slavery. The Declaration of Independence and the Constitution make it very, very clear. All men are created equal. So in that time of history, what was the problem was, on one hand, we were saying all men were created equal as Americans. And on the other hand, the government was looking at people and counting them as three-fifths of a vote. Also, back then, scripture was being maligned and not used well, and people were using it for pro-slavery. But there's three individuals, and if you read about the abolitionist movement, these three individuals were guarded and guided by Christian principles. The first one is this, William Wilberforce from Great Britain. He spent years in Great Britain encouraging, preaching, arguing that slavery was wrong and ended up turning that before America. And there's two other figures that are actually local figures to Rochester. There's Frederick Douglass, who was a free slave, 
who, who went to different churches, spent time in Rochester and said this, slavery and the gospel don't go together. And on top of that, there is a preacher who some of you go to this school, the Charles Finney School. And he spoke out about that. His name was Charles Finney. And he spoke out about slavery. The difference between Paul and the difference between America was the people in power had the opportunity to change as opposed with Paul. His strategy was this. Slaves live out this gospel in the uncomfortable situation so that the masters and this whole context can see the difference. And that goes back too to what we've heard Pastor Rob mentioned a few weeks ago that following Jesus and being in community is a bunch of natural enemies coming together for the sake of the gospel. And as we go forth and see in verse two, when Paul points out to older men, he says this, live with character, with faith, hope, and love. You see, in the Cretan culture, the, the older men, they didn't have to be models or examples. They didn't have to do anything. They were just men and they were in charge. But Paul revolutionizes and says this, is that people shouldn't look up to you unless the gospel has changed you and you're worth looking up to. And then Paul goes further in verses three and four, and he talks to the older women, and he says to them this, is he says, don't be succumbed to gossiping or slander or, or drunkenness, but live in such a way to teach the younger women. And when he talks about teaching, what he's saying to the women is this, teach is a way of a one-on-one -on -one mentoring relationship. And lastly, or, or again, with the younger women, he's saying, live out the gospel in your family in the cultural norms so that in such a way that people can see that, that your family, that your friends, that your husband, whoever is around you. And lastly, with the young men, young men that were learned to lie at all costs, have ambition. What Paul says to Titus is he says, live out the model of example of the gospel, not to lie, live with integrity. Paul goes to great lengths to say this. He goes to great lengths to say, it's don't assume that people know the gospel. Don't assume that people know how to live this out. And so what he's saying to these people, if we could sum it up in two words, it's this, live your life out of the gospel with self-control and character. Self-control and character. You see, when we assume that people know, we make comments and some of you, you probably have heard them, maybe even you've said them, but you know, the older will say about the younger, you know, they don't know how to do their taxes, they don't know how to change the oil, you know, they don't know, you know, they don't know about respect, they don't know and they don't understand about that. And then sometimes the younger make the assumptions about the older. You know, they don't know how hard it is, the anxiety that I go through. They don't know, they didn't have Instagram, they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have Twitter, where we were con constantly comparing ourselves to that. And sometimes high schoolers, you're sitting there, you know, you know, do my parents even understand how tough it is to keep straight A's and get into a good college? And, and it seems like they're riding me. And what Paul's saying is, is this, when we're in relationships, we don't have the option of assuming that we know where other people come from. So how, how do we kind of stay in this assumption? Why, why do we assume that people know? And I wanna just give you three reasons for that. Number one, we spend a lot of time with people like us. We spend a lot of time with people like us. So my wife is one of the most gracious people that I know, but her and I have different cleaning schedules. <laughs> she would have lines in the carpet every day if she could. I would say, if we get to vacuuming once every two months, we're gold. <laughs> now, I can go to a group of husbands and say, 
cleaning once every two months. That makes a lot of sense. And, and all the men said, but then, but then if I wanted to go outside of myself and I went to a group of women and I said, I probably should vacuum more, all the women would say, there we go. See, do you see the problem if we spend time with people that are just like us? They know our backgrounds. They know where we're coming from. But what the gospel calls us to do is to step out and to spend time with people from different generations, different backgrounds, so that we can know, and also so that they can know where we're coming from. Secondly is this, is we value convenience over consistency. We value convenience over consistency. We live in a busy culture. We live in a busy time. You have to take kids everywhere. Even if you don't have kids, you have board meetings, you have a job that might have you late to, to 7 p.m. There is so much to do. But there's something lost without consistency. There's something lost about not consistently spending time with people. And so it takes intentionality to spend time with people from different backgrounds. It means planning and having people from different backgrounds, spending time at your home and having dinner. But what we do is, if it works in our schedule, and the problem is, is if we say, if it works in our schedule, we put it off for years and years later. But what the gospel says and what this passage is pointing out, that there's a consistency to relationships for people for relating to each other, whether the age, the life stage, or the background. And lastly, why we kind of assume that people know is we remain shallow instead of going deep. You know, we are really good at talking about new sports weather with people. We're really good about talking about our jobs and the stock market and whether the Cavs and the Warriors are gonna go far into the NBA playoffs or, or the next big thing. But what about with the people around us? When have we asked the deeper questions? What's your greatest spiritual challenge? What's the biggest thing that you're struggling with? You know, tell me what's going on here. Help me understand why it's difficult to be a high school or college student. What do you wish I would say to you? Do we really take those moments to do that? A few months ago, I got invited to go to Buffalo Wild Wings with a group of guys from Browncroft. And they were all different ages and stages. And while well, I had buffalo wing grease all over my face, I looked at the two guys that started this group, John and Corey, and I said to them, so like, guys, how did this thing get started? And they looked at me and they said, well, and John said, he's like, well, I was new to the area and I didn't know anybody. And so I really wanted to spend some time with people that I didn't know. And you know, I was trying to find a connection, so I invited Corey. And so Corey and John had the first Buffalo Wild Wing small group together. And John said this, he said, you know, we were just talking and we were talking about life and family and all of a sudden the conversation stopped and Corey looked at the guys that were there and he said this. He said, guys, I'm really struggling with my marriage. I'm really struggling with finances right now. And one by one, each man began to share what was going on and they prayed with each other. See, what if we didn't assume that people know? What if we assumed that maybe we don't understand what everyone else is going through? So our problem is we assume people know. Our solution is this. Every generation has a need that could be met by another one. Every generation has a need that could be met by another one. So when we think about this passage, 
when we think about what's happening here, there's two assumptions that are completely clear. And the two assumptions are this. Number one, every generation has a different need. So what Paul does is Paul comes in and he says this, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and he's very specific to them. And I think that that's helpful for us as a church because of this, whatever stage that you are in, whatever generation you are a part of, whether it's X, Y, Z, whether you're a baby boomer or not, as a church, we're called to identify each other's needs. And that's important for us to understand, whether it's older to younger or younger to older. But the second assumption is this, is that we're called to be in intergenerational relationships. Is that Paul's assuming this, if I'm talking to all of these groups in this passage, if I'm saying that, that means we're supposed to be together under one roof. We're supposed to be together with each other. That, that there should be conversations that are happening, that, that we're learning about each other's needs, we're learning about backgrounds, we're learning where people are coming from, and we're reaching out to them. I wanted to share with you a video for a moment of how Browncroft is living out Titus 2. So take a look at this. I mean, I think we all struggle with points when we feel like we're doing it all alone and there's that loneliness. Um, but I, I think sometimes we have to pause and realize like, we're not really alone. I've had many multi-generational relationships over, over the years. My favorite is my daughters, because we can have serious conversations about spiritual things and about life, but also through Bible study, I've been involved uh, with many women, and have, I mean, that's a good word, seeing them blossom as we've grown together. Um, when I was in high school, there was a woman who, at the time, seemed a lot older than me, but she was probably like 10 years older than me. <laughs> Um, but she kind of took me under her wing. Um, she listened to me. She cheered for me. She encouraged me. When I was a student at Browncroft, I was in the youth group, and I had a really amazing experience at youth group, largely because of the adults who were involved, loving me, encouraging me, calling out my gifts and wanting me to, uh, you know, serve in the church and step up and the leadership. Uh, that was really transformational for me, and I really wanted to play that kind of role for someone else. So I look at uh, opportunities at work, you know, the young mother who uh, is a full-time employee and feeling overwhelmed and in a difficult, somewhat difficult uh, marriage, and, and I look for opportunities uh, to pour into her, you know, try to keep an open door as much as I can. Yes, come on in, pray with me. Share with me about that. I am a small group leader for the eighth grade girls. I speak out of personal experience to them about my struggle to attach my value to performance, and I try to call out, you know, that 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 is an idol. This desire to be able to prove that you can perform. Every woman needs to know that God loves her dearly and has worked for her to do. That he is, as the scripture said, created us for good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, and to be really seeking him to know what role he has for you, how you can be fruitful, useful for the kingdom. 
And what is your role in this? Because you do have a role. We are responsible. We are responsible as children belong to the king. He is uniquely equipped each woman with her own ability to do something that someone else in the church can't do. So I'd like to see women really believe that about themselves, believe that they are loved, that they have something to contribute, and not as a measure to compare to others or to say, you know, I can add this to my, you know, good women resume, but that this is something that I've been made to do and this is going to give me joy to be able to do that. You see, we can talk about what this passage means, and we can, you know, talk about the Greek and, and all the backgrounds about this, but at the end of the day, we're called to live this passage out. You see, the gospel changes us so it can begin to change the people around you. And as I think of the women that were in that passage, they are living this passage out in such a way that it's exemplary, not just for women, but for men too. That we would live out in such a way that we would create space for people who are younger than us and older than us. And you know, just as that video pointed out to, this is already happening. And this is part of this series that this is us, that the gospel redefines our relationship, whether we're older or younger, whether we know people older than us or younger than us, the gospel redefines our relationship. How does it happen? You know, Kelsey was mentioning this. We have small group leaders in our family ministry. So in Embrace, which is for toddlers, in Explore, which is for elementary first through fifth grade, for Emerge, which is our middle schoolers, and for Elevate, which is our senior high. Those small group leaders commit 40 weeks a year to these students. And they are living out the gospel. They're texting, they're getting to know each other. On top of that, we have a women's program named Together and they're setting up women and mentoring. We have a Monday night women's group with about 70 women, that there are intergenerational small groups happening there. There's men's groups that are here. There's life transformation groups. We're already living this passage out. And so part of today is this, is are you gonna take that next step to create space in intergenerational relationships? I also have one final example for, for this point that we're gonna have to live out pretty soon. On June 18th, we're gonna to go to two services, 9 and 10.30. And we are gonna have kids from first grade and older in this service. And I hope and I pray that we would be the most welcoming, affirming place for these kids to be. We're gonna do things that some of it, it might be uncomfortable for some of you, but we're actually gonna do things for kids in the service. And let me tell you what, I can remember little Petey when he was in first grade. None of you are allowed to call me Petey, okay? But I just want to point that out. Little Petey in first grade was three feet tall with a one-foot afro, and he couldn't sit still. And my parents were praying, please fall asleep under the pew. And sometimes I would. But guess what? There were people that cared about me. There were people that were patient with my parents. And what if we had those stories over the next couple of years? So parents, I wanna make this abundantly clear. Kids, if you're in here, students, if you're in here, I wanna make this abundantly clear. June 18th, we want you in this room. Yeah, you can clap for that. 
we want you here because we want to create a safe place. We want to engage the Bible together and we want to engage life change together. So the problem that we have is we assume that people know. The solution is every generation has a need that can be met by another. And lastly, the application is this, create space for intergenerational relationships. Create space for intergenerational relationships. On the back of your bulletin, there's a small group question asking, who is someone older for you to invest in and who is someone younger than you can invest in? When I lived in Philadelphia and I was an admissions counselor for a college, I was in this weird place. I was dating Robin who lived in Rochester and we were trying to decipher where I should go. You know, should Robin move down to Philadelphia? Should I move to Rochester? You know, should we cut it in the middle and move to my hometown of Binghamton? Not really, but anyways, <laughs> only I can pick on Binghamton. But we were really trying to decipher that and I began to look for someone older than me and I found this guy, his name's Jim. Jim was a PhD scientist and if any of you know me, you know that I'm not necessarily the most detailed analytical thinker out there. And so Jim and I just decided to have coffee together and we were different, but during that season, we would pray together and we would meet together and he would encourage me and he would also point out things in my life that, that maybe needed to change. And, and so that was a great relationship, but I'll never forget the one Sunday, you know, I'm at church and like the children's director comes up to me and says, hey, Peter, and I go, hey, Nate, how are you? Because I knew where this was going. And he goes, you want to work in the nursery? And I was like, isn't there another Peter somewhere? So Nate's like, we really have a need in the nursery. Can you go fill it? So reluctantly and not wanting to do it, thinking, you know, I'm in the midst of transition, you know what, I'll do it. So the first two weeks, I learned to like wear the right t-shirt with all the throw up on me. I learned, you know, kind of that. But about the third or fourth week that I was in the nursery, kids were coming up and they were saying, Mr. Peter, Mr. Peter. And I could just see the relief on the parents' faces to know I can go to church and hear from God and not worry about the safety of my kid or if people really love and care about them. And I guess that's my question to you. Where do you have space for people that are older than you to listen to them, maybe even to share where you're coming from? Where do you have space for people younger than you? And this is true for any one of you here, whether you are in grade school, whether you are in middle school, whether you are in high school, there is always someone that is looking up to you and there is always someone that you can look up to for wisdom and learn from. So as a church, you know, I've talked with many of you, you've said this to me, you said, Peter, you know, we really need to do something to take the next generation. We really need to care about, about these Generation Ys and the Millennials and the Generation Xers. We really need to do something. And today what I'm gonna ask you to do is to put that faith into practice. I'm gonna ask you to actually take that next step. You know, our pathways begin, belong, serve. And some of you come here to church each Sunday. Others of you, you're in groups. Some of you, you're, we have opportunities for that. Others of you, you're, you're not serving yet. And so what I wanna do is today, I actually wanna encourage you to take a next step to create a place for intergenerational relationships. Take your bulletin with me. You can grab it. And on your bulletin, there's a little tear off. I want you to just tear that off right now. 
There's one side that says this. It says, this is us, next steps. And so what we want to do is, you know, we don't want to just talk about creating space for intergenerational relationships. We actually want to do it here today. And, and so I just want to walk down these opportunities. So first of all, there's women's summer groups. They're three to six women, four to six weeks. And there's men's summer groups. They're three to six men for four to six weeks. Why are we doing this? We simply want to create space for small groups of people intergenerationally to get to know each other. So what we're going to do is we're going to be in a series on judges. Everyone that signs up for this, you're going to get this free book on judges. I got good news for you. The answers are in the back. So if you're afraid about engaging the Bible or something, we want to just create conversations about engaging the Bible in intergenerational relationships. And if you mark those, maybe you're not connected here at Browncroft yet, or you're looking for these opportunities, no one's saying that you're signing the dotted line on this. All you're saying is, is we're interested. And all you're saying with the, these options is we're going to send you an email. We're going to be contacting you throughout the week. The next one is adopt college students. So John Amayo, who spoke two weeks ago, shared with me this. He said, he said, there are college students that are following Jesus that are desperate to find a church home for people that care about them. I said, John, what does that look like? And he said, well, it looks like food and time. I said, well, that's pretty easy. We can meet that need. And so what we're going to do is if you sign up and say that you're interested in that, is we want you to, to open up your life and maybe open up your home to a few college students. And I want you to think about this. If you and I had a kid or a grandkid, or if you, you had a niece or a nephew, and we know that college is this time when, when people debate Christianity and they wonder if it's true, and if your student came to a church, wouldn't you want that student to feel loved and welcomed by a family member? Wouldn't you want them to know that there's people that cared about them? You know, I think about this, I don't know if you know this, but Vic Calamara, who oversees Ivy at Geneseo, goes to this church. There are 12 students that come from Geneseo all the way up from Browncroft, 45 minutes each week during the semester. What if we were the most welcoming church to college students and we created intergenerational relationships and we created space for them? Lastly, is the serve in family ministries. You know, we have small group leaders in Explore, Embrace, Emerge, and Elevate, but there's also opportunities for you to serve, whether it's in the check-in station, whether it's during food and stuff like that. And every time that you serve for kids, what you say to them is this, you matter. You are created in the image of God. You are loved by him. And I'm willing to give up my convenience. I'm willing to give up my time for you because I believe that God loves you so much. And whether I say it or whether I do it, I want to communicate that to you. So today, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to take a risk. I'm going to ask you to do something that might be a little uncomfortable, but I think it's important for us as a church to say we care about the next generation. I want you to fill out this card and whatever God leads you to, whichever one you think is the next step in your spiritual growth, I want you to fill it out and I want you to take this card while Jason's singing. I want you to drop it in one of the buckets that are in the front. I want you to take that and as an act of saying this, God, I'm willing to put into practice what you've called us to do.